please. And we're going to look at some scriptures. Turn to Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. To me, I think this is the most important thing that I can, as a missionary, uh, preach on and, and, and ask of you as a church. And uh, I really believe everything I'm going to preach tonight cause, because I, I just know this is the secret to blessings in our church and the power of God that we've seen in the ministry. Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 4 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, without praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church and many churches like this one, God. I thank you for the generosity. Thank you how they've been a blessing to our family. I thank you, Lord, especially for their prayers. And Lord, I just want to encourage them to continue to pray and see what God can do with prayer. Uh, the prayers of the saints, praying to a great God. So, Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would bring conviction to our hearts as well. And Lord, I pray that you would just... Uh, Meet our spiritual need tonight, that you'd give me words to say, and that you'd give me power above all. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A.J. Gordon was a pastor in Boston, Massachusetts in the late 1800s. He uh, had a thriving ministry there, and he had a burden for missions. In fact, he started a Bible college just so that missionaries would be trained to go to the Congo. He was a well-known preacher. Um, D.L. Moody would have him come and preach many times in the Northfield conferences, and uh, he was a prolific writer, but above all, he was a man of prayer. And A.J. Gordon said these words, Dr. A.J. Gordon. He said, prayerless giving will never evangelize the world. Think about that. Prayerless giving will never evangelize the world. Prayer gets, uh, giving gets us on the field and helps us to stay on the field. But what good would it be to be on the field if we didn't have any power? All is vain unless the Holy Spirit comes down. And He comes down through prayer. Uh, Paul, the missionary, was writing to the church here in Colossus. And he was urging them to pray that God would open a door of utterance uh, to speak the mystery of Christ. Notice that he uses here a word, uh, you'll see it in verse 3. He uses a word twice that is encouragement to me as a missionary. He says, Withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, which I'm also in bonds. He says the word us twice. And that shows me that he was not only asking for prayer for himself, but he was asking for prayer for the missionary band, that, that the band of missionaries that worked with him. But I believe by extension, he was asking for prayer for all missionaries everywhere throughout all the ages. And tonight I'd like to study in God's Word uh, some doors with, which, uh, with respect to missions for which we should be praying as a church. And uh, the first, first, before we see these doors, I'd like to see the one who opens the doors. Uh, our, our God, our great God. Turn with me to Revelations chapter 3. Let's be reminded about who we pray to. The reason why we can pray powerful prayers is not because we're powerful people, but we have a powerful God to whom we pray. The Bible says here in Revelations chapter 3, verse 7, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth, and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. God is a God of open doors. Amen. You know, um, Jesus, He built His church. 
And he said, I built a church that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that doesn't mean the gates of hell. Some people seem to think that means that the church is like a refuge, like a fortress, and we're defending ourselves against the gates of hell. But no, the church should be on the offense against the gates of hell. We should be on the offense rescuing those lost souls that are captive at Satan's will behind those gates. But it seems like sometimes those gates, those doors of hell, as we call it in Spanish, those gates of hell are shut tight. But God can bust those doors wide open. And he does it through prayer. So I'd like to speak some, about some doors that we see in the New Testament uh, that, uh, that Paul even uh, spoke about. The first door I would like to see that we need to pray about, and that's the effectual door. The effectual door. Turn with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul speaks here in verse 16, uh, chapter 16, verse, uh, verses 7 and 8, or 8 and 9, rather. Verses 8 and 9, 1 Corinthians 16, 8 and 9. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's writing from Ephesus. He says, but I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effectual door is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. He said there's a great door that's been opened. He calls it an effectual door. Great is pretty easy to understand. But what does the word effectual means? mean? Well, effectual comes from a word a Greek word that is energes, which means not only what, as you can imagine, the word energy comes from that, power, uh, energy. And it does mean that, but it also has the idea of efficiency. Uh, it's an efficient door. Uh, now, efficiency means producing a desired effect. Like when there's a machine that's been built, they measure that, the efficiency of that uh, build and of that uh, built a machinery by how much it's accomplishing, how much of the, the purpose for which it was built is being accomplished. They call that efficiency. So remember that, and we'll look at that further on. So it's producing a desired effect. It's, it's when the desired effect is being produced. Uh, we'll look at that in a minute, but I want us to look at when that door was open and what it was talking about, what Paul was talking about. And to see that door open, you've got to go to Acts. So let's go to Acts 19. We'll see when that effectual door was open. So we'll know how to pray for an effectual door and what, it, what that entails. Acts chapter 19, we'll go to uh, verse 8 when Paul comes to Ephesus. As he would usually do, he goes to the synagogue. In verse 8, he went into the synagogue and spoke, spake boldly for the space of three months. That's a word we're going to see many times in our message, that word boldly. For the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, look what happened, uh, how, how the results were, what the, re, what the initial uh, results were. And you're going to see that there were many adversaries, the Bible says. And that's what happened there in Ephesus. There were many adversaries. There's much opposition. Verse 9. But when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil the, that way before the multitude, he departed from them and uh, separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. It wasn't easy when he came to Ephesus, and it's really never easy when a church is planted. I don't know how many years ago this church was planted, but uh, I can imagine when it was being planted, it wasn't easy. It sure wasn't easy for us in Mexico, because when you start trying to evangelize an area, you find out that there are people that are hardened to the gospel. Amen. Especially in the 21st century. I, bet, I remember back in the 1980s, I was a teenager, and we'd go out seeing soul winning. 
And uh, many times we'd come back after after going out soul winning and we'd talk about the people that we got to talk to. And almost inevitably, we would talk to people that we were able to lead to the Lord even. It seemed like it was so much easier. Now today we're happy if we can get a track in the door. <laughs> but uh, divers are hardened. And, and uh, people believed not even back in those days. And even people spoke evil the way. I'm sure no one has ever spoken evil of Lighthouse Baptist Church. Amen. Just, uh, we just love the community here, and we do. I'm sure you do. And you just expect everyone just to be happy that you're trying to reach community for the Lord. No, that's not that way. It wasn't, for, it wasn't that way for us when we started Liberty Baptist Church. Our neighbors, they were excited. They wanted to welcome us. They welcomed us, first of all, by complaining to the government that we weren't zoned to be there. So we had to fight that battle. And we had to, I had to go to the Department of uh, Urban Development and prove to them that, yes, we were zoned to be there. And we won that battle. And, and then they came up with some obscure uh, ordinance that's out there saying that uh, you can only be at a certain noise level, decibel level. And they tried to accuse us of being past that uh, decibel level. That was pretty easy to, to, uh, to refute. All we had to do was point to the churches around the corner with their, you know, their electric guitars and their... You know, their drums and everything. That was pretty easy to prove that we weren't uh, any, any more higher than anyone else. Um, so that were some of the battles we had to fight. But, but there are people that speak evil the way. Uh, I remember years ago when I was out in the, in the boondocks outside of the city in a little rural town, they accused us of being Mormons, number one. And number two, they accused us of stealing children. I was thinking, I got four children of my own. I don't need any more children. Amen. Uh, but, uh, you know, they spoke, speak evil the way. And that's what happened here. And it t- continued for two years, in fact. Uh, the Bible says uh, uh, in verse 10, and this continued by the space of two years. So imagine two years of people being hard to the gospel, two years of people speaking evil the way, two years of people not believing. It wasn't easy. But this is what I want us to see in verse 10. In spite of all that, it says that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. In spite of the opposition, Paul and his band of preachers made sure that everyone heard the gospel. Now, it doesn't say that everyone was saved. It's not our job to see everyone saved. You know, it's, our, it's not our job that, that, uh, that the, we bring the world to Christ. It's our job to bring Christ to the world. Amen? That's right. And that's what they did. So, in spite of the opposition, they made sure that everyone heard the gospel. When we started our church, one of the things I said is, uh, my first message was this, we're going to spread, we're going to cover this delegation. Mexico City divided into 16 different delegations. There's 22 million people, but there's 16 delegations, just like in New York City, you know, you have the Bronx, you have Queens, you have Manhattan, and the the different boroughs where they have uh, delegations, and there's about 400,000, 500,000 each one. We have 400,000. So I said, we're going to concentrate on these 400,000. We're going to make sure that this delegation, that everyone has a chance to hear the gospel. We're going to cover it like butter on toast. Amen. We're going to fill this delegation of Miguel Hidalgo uh, with the doctrine of Christ, just like they did in Jerusalem. We've done that. We've knocked every door, every street uh, among those 400,000. We did it one time. It took us 13 years the first time. We're almost done. We're in the last neighborhood. And we get that done in five years this time. When you got more help, you can do more. Amen. But we want to make sure that everyone hears the gospel. You know what? God blesses that. When we go out and make sure that he, people hear the gospel, God blesses it. And God blessed them. There was opposition. But God watched what they were doing. He sees all. Amen. That's right. And he saw what they were doing. And look, look what God did. We see it and we'll start in verse, uh, verse 16. Uh, there was a, there was an exorcism that went bad. It always goes bad when you have unsaved people trying to cast a demon out of an unsaved man. Amen. <laughs> 
And it didn't work well. They ran out naked and wounded, the Bible says in verse 16. But then, this is what I want us to see. After two years of opposition, of people believing not, people uh, uh, speaking evil away, people's hearts, heart, hearts hardened, the Bible says in verse 16 that fear fell upon them all. God did a work. Suddenly, fear came upon these same people that opposed the gospel. These same that were hardened, were hardened to the gospel. Fear came upon them. The name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Many that came confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them which also used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. They had a, a revival, uh, a brook burning party. I remember back in the 80s, they would have, we'd have youth rallies and then we'd have, uh, 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 back then, I don't know, you young people don't know what I'm talking about, but they're called vinyl records, vinyl discs. And they went on this little turntable and actually spun it around. And I remember we'd have, you know, that we'd take our LPs, remember the LPs, 45s and things, and, you know, bust them and break them and burn them. And, and I don't know what today they'd be, uh, MP3 burnings? I don't know, MP4 burnings? But, uh, but what, the point is, revival took place here. And, and then in the next verse it says, if I can get back to the verse, uh, not only did they burn their works and, and the Lord was magnified, but it says in verse 20, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. Remember how... Remember what I said at the beginning? Jesus said that gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. God did a mighty work here. The name of the Lord was magnified. Remember that phrase as well. That word there, the, the word of God was, was magnified. This was the effectual door that took place. God wants to, God wants to bust those doors wide open. The effectual door. And He does it through prayer. I want to prove that. Turn with me to James 5.16. James 5.16. James 5.16. I believe God wants us to be doorbusters for Christ through prayer. So that as we pray, God busts those doors open. It says here in James chapter 5. In James chapter 5, we see that interesting word again, that word effectual. It says in verse 16, Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's that word availeth. That's the same word as prevail. It's the same word in the Greek. It means to prevail. It means to conquer. It means to accomplish something. And the word effectual also means to accomplish. It means to accomplish a desired... Uh, it's to produce a desired effect. And that desire was expressed in prayer... And, and what they prayed for happened. It was, I believe, specific prayer. They prayed for specific things. And God answered specific prayer. Amen? Amen. And, uh, and you say, well, when? When were they praying? Why were they praying? I mean, how do you know that? Well, turn with me first, please, to Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. Now, this, uh, chapter 3, what I'm about to read was penned before Paul went on a survey trip. What are you talking about? Well, he was in Corinth when he wrote these words to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, I'm sorry, in Thessalonica. After he penned these words, he goes on a survey trip of sorts to Ephesus. He preaches there a little bit. They say, we want you to stay. And he said, no, I have to go to a feast in Jerusalem. He goes to a feast in Jerusalem. Then he works his way to Asia Minor, back to Ephesus, where that great and effectual door was open. So this was penned a few years before that door was opened, in spite of the opposition. And look what he asks here. He asks, 
this several times, but here he has it penned here in this epistle to the Thessalonians. In verse 1, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. And they did. They prayed effectual prayer. And the effectual prayer opened up an effectual door. That should be exciting to us. The word of, they prayed that the Word of God had free, would have free course. Isn't that what happened? Was it the Word of God? The Bible, remember how we saw the name of the Lord was magnified? The Bible says the Word of the Lord was glorified, even as it was with the Thessalonians. God answered that prayer. I remember when we uh, started our church in Mexico City. Uh, we started it where we started it on purpose. It's, it's, it's a lot like here. Washington, D.C. is the capital of the states, of course, and Mexico City is the capital there in Mexico City. And as, as you know, there's many military bases. How many here are military? Raise your hand, please. Okay, we've got some military families here. We have about 20 military families in our church, and that was on purpose. I wanted to go and reach military people, and God uh, allowed us to do that. But at the beginning, when we started the church, we passed out 20,000 flyers through all the uh, neighborhoods around the, those bases, uh, that, that base is the largest military base is there, Campo Uno, and also the headquarters, it's like the Pentagon of Mexico there, is there. Uh, the Army headquarters, the Air Force headquarters, when we started our church, we met in a little uh, a school, and in back of our, the back window, in back of my uh, pulpit, was the lawn for the Air Force headquarters. That's how close we were. I mean, we were butted up against it. But uh, that was a design, and, and uh, we passed out 20,000 flyers, but we couldn't get on base to pass them out. But there's a little, like a little city off base. It's off base housing, but it's only for officers. And they had their little, I mean, they had a little school there. They have a mall there and things like that. Their own little hotel and things. We were able to get on there because the, the security was lighter. So it was easier to get on there. And so we, 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 went, we passed out there. And so when we started our church, we started with about an average of about 35 people from the very beginning. We had a big day, uh, had a day, about 70 people came, 54 were from the community around us, 16 were people that were helping us. And so we started a church, uh, those next few Sundays, we had about 35, and many of them were officers. We had majors and colonels and captains, but we didn't have any enlisted men. For years, we had no enlisted men. They were all officers. Until about four years later, we had a general, General Camacho, he lived right in back of our home. He started coming to our church, and he and his wife and uh, then he brought his chauffeur, who I guess you could say was our first enlisted man. But I, I talked to him and I said, what if your chauffeur would drive us on the base? Uh, and we got these tracks made. Uh, a church in Tacoma, Washington made us some, they have a military ministry and they also have a good uh, designer graphics ministry. And they, made, they already had this track for their military ministry. And so I translated it. I'm, I'm good at robbing ideas. So I, I translated their track. I got some military pictures of Mexican military. And uh, we made a flyer for a Bible study for military as well. And, uh, and then they even had some men come down. Some of them were active military. Some of them were retired military to come down and help us uh, get on that. And, and, and so we, our job, our idea was to get on base. Well, uh, General Camacho said, I could do better than that. I can. And he had me come to his office and he had the general in charge of base housing. Uh, that military base come to the office and we talked and, and he gave us permission. That general in charge of base housing gave us permission to go on. So the 
the chauffeur drove us on the base. We even passed by administration and said, we're here to do it. And they said, oh, we know, we know, we know why you came. Go ahead. You got free reign to do it. And so we, so we went and we started passing them out in all the different uh, apartments, military apartments. So the military families there in the base housing. When suddenly a truck, a, 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 a convoy of military vehicles came up, the soldiers got out, gathered us all together and told us we had to leave. It's because the, although the general base housing gave us, gave us permission, the commandant of the entire base didn't know we were coming, and he was pretty upset. In fact, uh, the general later on said, I almost went to jail over this. But anyhow, uh, the point is, it looked like Satan shut the door tight, and we weren't able to get on base. But praise God, through that effort, Gabriel, you saw in the presentation, received a tract. He was a son of a pastor, in fact, a Baptist preacher, but he got away from the Lord, uh, married an unsaved woman, and, and joined the army, made, married an unsaved woman, but he started coming to our church. Pretty soon his wife Lourdes was saved. Pretty soon his kids were saved. And then his little daughter started bringing the kids on base to our, our BBS and other special days. And through that, the military ministry began. Military families started coming off that base. And we started having enlisted men. And it, and it was a great blessing. But, and, and not only that, then we started a bus route on there. And now we have what we couldn't do. They're doing every Saturday. Men knocking those doors there and inviting people out to church. God, there's not a door that God can't open. Amen. It was shut tight, but God opened up that door. And I believe it was because of the prayers of the saints here in, in the States. Um, John Gill, let's go back to our text and we'll see the second door. Colossians chapter four. John Gill said about uh, our text here in Colossians chapter four. John Gill was a pastor that pastor, same church as Spurgeon pastor many years earlier. And he wrote a commentary and he writes about this passage of scripture in our text in Colossians. He said, God opens doors of opportunity. We saw that. God opens doors of men's hearts. That's basically what happened there in the picture door. But God also opens doors of Christians' mouths. That's what we see in our text here. The door of utterance is the next door I want us to see here in verse 3. Without praying also for us that God would open to us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in bonds. You may think, well, what's that word utterance? That's what I thought when I started studying. What's that word utterance? What's it mean? Well, the context helps you understand what utterance is. Look at verse 4 and 5. That I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. So utterance is speaking as you ought to speak. That gives us sort of an idea of what it means. And uh, if we study that word utterance in the Bible, we can, we can understand more what he means by that. The word utterance, the first time it's in the Bible is in Acts 2.4. Remember when the people came out, the, the 120, they came out in the day of Pentecost, they came out of the upper room. The Bible says they spoke as we were given utterance. That word in Greek is apathingamai, uh, which means to speak forth, to speak with an elevated and dignified discourse, not just speaking with, in conversational tones, but speaking forth with an elevated and dignified discourse. Apparently, that's what they did when they came out of the upper room. In fact, that same word, apathagami, is used when Peter stands up and preaches and uh, 3,000 people get saved. It's the same word that's used later on. The Greek word is used when Paul stands up and preaches and a king, Agrippa, is under such conviction that he says, almost thou hast persuaded me to become a Christian. So speaking in a powerful way, power and authority and with grace, Remind me of when Jesus, when he 
uh, came to Nazareth. Remember that? He came to Nazareth and they were astonished at his gracious words. But the Bible said that he had come in the power of the Spirit to Nazareth, to Galilee. But remember what he was doing? What was Christ doing for 40 days before he came to Nazareth? He was praying. Well, he was fasting. But I imagine those 40 days he was also what? Praying. He was praying. There's a connection there between prayer and utterance and the power of God in speaking. If you still don't believe me, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Well, you need to see it once to believe, amen? But let's look at another passage here in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 have, are being threatened for preaching the gospel. Opposition again. They come back to the congregation. They come to the church. They're not having a pity party for being threatened. They're having a prayer party. Better party to have, amen? They're having a prayer party. And uh, let's get in the middle of the prayer. They're praying in verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. And grant unto thy servants that with all boldness, there's that word again, with all boldness, they may speak thy word. Now, they didn't say, grant unto us protection from the opposition and the threatenings. No, they asked, give us boldness in the threatenings. You know... A lot of times it can be intimidating to preach the gospel, to witness to people. That's why Paul said it, that God will make me, uh, give me words to speak that I, may, that I speak as I ought to speak. Because many times we don't speak as we ought to. Amen? But that's why we need prayer. Prayer gives boldness to those that need it. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they spake the word of God, what's it say? With boldness. Verse 33, and with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Some people say, well, that power was just given to the apostles. Well, read the rest of the verse. It says great grace was given upon all of them. They were given gracious words, just like Jesus Christ. They were given words of grace and power. Amen. And many were saved there in Jerusalem because they prayed for boldness and God gave them boldness. God gave them utterance. And God wants to do that today as well. On the mission field, even here in this church. Amen. amen. And, that, and, and I believe that's also what Paul was praying for when he said, pray that the word of the Lord would have free, uh, a, a free course. Uh, look what I also, uh, uh, Paul said, go with me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. You know, Many times when I hear the list of the armor of God, okay, they say, here's the defensive weapons. They're all defensive except for one, they say. And that's the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. They leave out another weapon here. A powerful weapon. It's in verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication the Spirit. And watching there too with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. God, this missionary is asking for, for prayer and supplication. And not just for him. Notice what it says. For all saints. That means the saints that are in our missionary churches. Amen. Amen. Look what it says in verse 19 and 20. And for me, the utterance. There's that word again, utterance. And here we get a, a, a definition amplified. If we're still not convinced what utterance is, let's look at it here. Verse 19 and 20. And for me, the utterance may begin unto me that I may 
open my mouth boldly. There it is. Boldly to make the mystery of the gospel. For which I'm an ambassador in bonds that therein I may speak boldly as they ought to speak. Oh, God wants us to speak boldly. Amen. But, but Paul wasn't just asking for himself. And we ought to pray for our missionaries. Amen. We ought to pray, and like it says, in supplication, as fervent prayer. But also for all saints, you know, I cannot reach 22 million people. I've already figured that out a long time ago, okay? My family can't reach 22 million people. And so we try to focus on those 400,000, even though we have another mission, you know. We have our church for 400,000. That's where we started a mission over there in Nakalpa, so they can reach 400,000 there. And that's where we started the other mission over by the airport, so we can, they can reach their 400,000 there. And maybe through our ministries, we can reach over a million, amen, of those 22 million. But right now, you know, we basically concentrate on those 400,000. But you know what? My, I and my family can't reach 400,000 people. It's going to take an army of soul winners to do that. And that's what we've been busy the last 18 years doing, training soul winners. Amen. And we need to pray for them. You know, they do about a lot better job. Believe, I have to be honest. They do a lot better job bringing out people than I can. They know the language. They know the culture. And they can have just as much power as I can. I believe that with all my heart. Everyone here can have just as much power as the apostles did. We just got to believe it. We got to be clean. Number one. Amen. But we've got to pray, number two. And number three, we've got to obey. The Bible says God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey. And part of that obedience is telling others about Christ. And I'm thankful that we have people that do it. They, they, didn't, they did it this weekend. Amen. They did it all this week. You know, we have a church of about 130 people that then brought the other uh, 300, 300 people to church today. And they can do it. But we need to be praying for them that they, can do, that they do it. Amen. And how, how many people are there in our church right now? I can point and say, we saw the presentation. This person was saved and this person was saved and this person was saved. And it was because this person brought him, this our brother brought him, this sister brought him. Oh, pray for boldness. Pray for our people that God give them boldness. There was a man, there was a young man in our church. His name was Daniel. Daniel, when, I, when he came to this church with his father, his father was a 30-year veteran. He's the one that started that bus route, by the way. And then now uh, Gabriel took it over. But it was really, uh, Gabriel started, got us into there, but it was really uh, our team that, that, that ran the bus route for several years. But when he first came to our church, his son, I thought, was a 12-year-old. He was about this tall. He was 20 years old when he came to our church. But he had the fire, he had God's fire in his bones. The reason why he was so short is because he has so many medical problems, lung problems, kidney problems. His dad was an officer. His dad was an officer. His dad was an enlistment, but his dad was military. So he'd be in and out of the military hospital all the time, which is just down the road from our church, the, the main military hospital of Mexico. And he'd be in and out of there all the time. He was in and out so, so often he would tell when he would have to go in because something was wrong with him. He'd be telling the doctors, this is what I need. This is the kind of medicine I have. This is the kind of treatment. And he would be right. Twenty years old because he had gone through it all his life. And he knew he had so few years to live. He never knew if he had months to live or years to live. And he lived that way, as we all should. And I remember, man, he was such a blessing to my two teenage boys. As that 20-year-old young man, he would 
encourage our young people to live for the Lord and, and to tell us about Christ. And uh, he would bring people in and he just didn't say it. He lived it. He would bring his old high school uh, friends to church and we'd see them saved and see them baptized. And he was greatly used of God in that short time that he had a, that he was alive. He joined the Bible Institute and I, I couldn't find any fault with him. I couldn't even give him a demerit if I tried. And I, I never tried, but I could never find any fault to give him a demerit. He was just, uh, he was on fire for the Lord when he had preached. He would preach with all his heart. And, uh, and, and God used him that short time he had. And then I remember when I heard that he had pneumonia. And I went to go see him, but he passed away before I could even get there because his body was so, was so weak that uh, all it took was pneumonia to, and he passed away. But I remember his funeral. 150 people were there. Jammed in the first time we ever had in a home because they usually have it in a, in a funeral home. But we had it in the church there. And uh, so many people that had been affected by his life. Remember, you think, well, I wonder what caused uh, in our presentation. Remember, uh, it was Elizabeth, his sister, and Alan, the brother-in-law. who had that business. They got on their knees one day and trusted Christ as their Savior. That was his sister that got saved. That was his brother-in-law that got saved. Don't tell me that, he, that it was just per chance that they got saved. It was because of that testimony of her brother. Amen. Oh, how God can use people on the mission field. Pray that God opens doors of utterance, doors of boldness, doors of, uh, doors of opportunity. But one more door I want us to look at. Turn with me to Matthew. We'll try to be quick. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. You won't, look at, you won't see the door in chapter 9, but just stay with me. We see another prayer request for, really it's a prayer command, really it's a command to pray uh, by our Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And Jesus went about the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So he's teaching, he's preaching. He's going from city to city, village to village with weary feet. I'm sure a weary throat as well. And he's doing it all. You may say, well, what about John the Baptist? He was in jail. Well, what about the disciples? Well, they were just disciples. They're not apostles until chapter 10. They're just disciples like everyone else. He's doing it all. But he sees the multitudes. I think of that as a missionary in Mexico City. I see the multitudes. You saw in the presentation, you saw me up on a hill at the end with a sea of houses in the back. <clears throat> Almost all gray. Because they're in Mexico City and they're in the suburbs where the poorest people live. And they just build their own little homes there. You know, there's not the code, of course. You know, some of them, I don't know what would happen if there's a major earthquake. But they build the homes, they don't even have money ever to paint them. That's why they stay gray. But there's a, you saw in the background a little bit of it, but that goes for miles and miles and miles. It's a ridge with tens of thousands of homes. And then there's a dip. And then another ridge of tens of thousands of homes. And then another dip. And another ridge of tens of thousands of homes. We have three bus routes that run through those, up and down those ridges. We knock those doors. And we see the multitudes there. And we think there's so few of us. To reach so many. 814,000 in that suburb of Nakalpan. I only know of one other church that's trying to reach those 814,000 people. And we see them just like Jesus saw them. Fainted. The Bible says he was moved with compassion. And I don't know how you can't be moved with compassion as we drive through those 
streets and knock those doors and see people fainting. That word fainting has the idea of cumbered about with their sin. Cumbered about with the results of their sin. The problems that they have, that most of the sin, problems in our life, we have to admit, are created by our own selves. Amen? By our own sins. And they're, they're just the same as us. And I see them there. But the problem is, the, the sad thing is that they're scattered abroad. That has the idea that they're, they're looking for the answers to the problems, but all in the wrong places. The only place they're going to find the answers right here. The only way their broken homes are going to be put together is through the Word of God. But my Bible says that in Hosea, my people, and as I, and I see their homes, and I go to their homes, and I see their broken homes and their lives, uh, and the sad lives that they live, I think of that verse in Hosea where it says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Families destroyed for lack of knowledge. But here we have the answer. But what is so sad is there's no shepherd to guide them. We're doing our best. But just like I think of what Jesus said here, and that's how I, I, I have to say to this church, Lighthouse Baptist Church, what he said, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are so few. Seventy years ago, there were four billion people on this planet. There were a hundred thousand people leaving the shores of this country to go reach them. And that includes Catholics and everyone. Today, there's 8 billion people on this earth. And so you're probably thinking, okay, then there's 200,000 missionaries leaving the shores of the United States. No, there's 29,000. One-third of what there was 70 years ago to reach twice as many. What's the problem? Well, here's a good answer, 38. Pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that He will send forth labors into His harvest. Third door we need to pray for is what I call the quaking door, and I'll get to that in a minute. But pray, therefore, in fact, in Spanish, that's beg ye, therefore, the Lord of the harvest. That He sent forth laborers. Oh, we need to be begging that God does a work, especially among our young people. You know, older people can be called. I have two friends in the ministry uh, uh, that I've known for years. Uh, one is going to Poland. One's going to Burma. They're over 50 years old. But uh, they have, they're at the end, tail end of their life. How many young people God wants to go into the ministry? And why aren't they going? Why aren't they being called? Well, I believe what we need to do is pray for what I, we see in Isaiah 6, verses 1. A quake, what I call a quaking door experience. That we need to pray that our people, especially our young people, have in their lives. It says here in Isaiah 6, 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and His train filled the temple. So God appears to Uzziah. The best place to be is in the temple, amen, in the house of God. That's where God's going to speak to your heart. That's what He did here. Now, the Bible says in two, there were seraphim there, six wings. And two of those wings, uh, we think, if we saw a seraphim, we'd be frightened. We'd be cowering in the corner. Well, these same seraphim, uh, from which we would run and hide, they hide their eyes with two of their wings from an almighty God. And they cry, holy, holy unto the Lord of hosts in verse 3. The whole earth is full of His glory. The posts of the door are moved at the voice of Him that cry. And I believe here is a cry of God. It's a different cry from the others. And, and the house is filled with smoke. And I believe that's the Shekinah glory of God. It fills the temple. The posts of the door are moved. And they quake. And, and, and Isaiah here has a quaking door experience. He sees the Lord as He truly is. High and lifted up. Verse 5. 
And he responds in the correct way, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I speak in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Oh, God wants, to, wants us to see Him as He truly is. And that we respond when we see the Lord as He truly is with awe and reverence. Something that's missing in many of our churches today. And a touch of humility wouldn't hurt either. We see that here too as He says, Woe is me! For I'm undone! I'm a man of unclean lips! I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips! For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts! Oh, how we should respond in humility. Now, how we need to pray that, that we have humility. That our young people learn humility. And then thankfulness, verse 6, uh, he's, you know, he cries about his, un, uh, his unclean lips, but then they bring tongs, the seraphim, and they touch his mouth in verse 7, and laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips. And then those great words, thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin is purged. Our sins have been taken away, amen? amen. Our iniquity has been purged. We should be so excited about that. The love of Christ should constrain us so much that it should result in absolute surrender. Amen? Amen. And that's what we need to pray that God does with our young people because there's a world to reach out there and there's so few that are responding to the call that they would have a quaking door experience. They would surrender to God. You know, it can take place. Back in 1886, of all places, Princeton University, it was called Princeton College at the time, there were some young people that were concerned about the world. They started to pray. It's interesting. It was a brother and sister and some other men. And in fact, they'd go to a parlor there in Princeton to pray. She would pray apart because, you know, women shouldn't be chaperoned with a bunch of men even to pray. Amen? Amen. They knew enough back then. Amen? (laughs) Something we need to learn today. That was back in the 1800s when they were smarter. But these young men would pray. She would pray apart. And they were praying that young men and women would be called in the ministry. They were, they were praying for a long time, and then finally they had an opportunity. One of them had an opportunity to go to uh, Northfield Conference. No, it was Herman, Mount Herman there in, in Massachusetts. And, uh, and they asked, and it was supposed to be a regular conference, but one of those young men said to Mr. Moody, why don't we make it a missions conference? Why don't we have some missionary young people come? Some, some people from the mission field come, and some of them are sons of missionaries. And speak to the young people, and that's what they did. As they prayed that God would speak to their hearts. And in that conference, a hundred young people surrendered to the mission field. You know how many people were on the mission field in 1890? Only a thousand. We hear of, you know, the great tales of Livingston and these other missionaries. But there were only a thousand at that time on the mission field. And in that month of conferences, they had a hundred surrender to the mission. Young people. And it's very interesting and then pretty soon it started snowballing and hundreds and hundreds over the last few, the next few years surrender missions, young people. It's very interesting. Nowadays, it seems like the trend is young people go off to Bible college and halfway, halfway through Bible college, they decide to go to secular college to go make some money somewhere and, and get a job and make money. Back then, the trend was they would start in places like Princeton and Yale and, and, and secular colleges and they end up being called into the ministry, surrendering to the ministry there in their secular college and going out to a Bible college and then going out to the mission field. Oh, how we need to pray for that today. And in the end, by the end of 30 years, 20,000 young men and women surrendered to the mission field. 
Oh, that we can see today, I believe, as well. If we would do like they did and beg that God would send missionaries in the mission field. You know, I can't produce that. Pastor Bishop can't produce that. It's God that has to do that. We need to pray to Almighty God that he does it. Jonathan Edwards, back 200 years ago, had a burden. Overall, it was a burden for his young people. They were reading. Back then, they didn't have smartphones. They had worldly literature. But they were reading. But he had a burden because he saw the worldliness of his young people. That's how the Great Awakening started. That's how it started. He was praying for his young people there in Northampton, Massachusetts. Pretty soon, other men joined with him and women praying for the young people. And that's when that great revival took place in Northampton in his church. And many young people, including his son-in-law, were swept into the ministry in the mission field. Oh, God can do it again today. Oh, that we pray that God open a door, a quaking door, uh, 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 creates a quaking door experience in the hearts of our young people. And I want to just finish with an illustration. Some years ago, the record of a wonderful work of grace in connection with one of the stations of the China Inland Mission attracted a good deal of attention. Now, the China Inland Mission is a mission uh, that was headed up by uh, Hudson Taylor back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. But there was one station there where there was a wonderful work of grace. It attracted a good deal of attention, both the number and spirit. Listen to this, a number the number and the spiritual character of the converts have been far greater than at other stations. More people are getting saved there than in other places. And also the spiritual character was greater among the converts. Think of our church in Mexico City. And I wonder, how come God has blessed our church so much? When I see sometimes other missionaries, even in Mexico, struggling. I wonder, what's the secret? Why, why, because listen to what he says here as well. Uh, what had been far greater than the other stations where the consecration of the missionaries had been just as great as at that more fruitful place. It wasn't because the missionaries there at that particular station were more consecrated than the other missionaries. It was just that God was, had His hand upon that ministry, and it seemed like there was, no, there, there was a secret. They, they couldn't understand why. This rich, hearts, rich harvest of souls remained a mystery until Hudson Taylor, on a visit to England, discovered the secret. At the close of one of his addresses, a gentleman came forward to make his acquaintance. In the conversation which followed, Mr. Taylor was surprised at the accurate knowledge the man possessed concerning this inland China station. But how is it, Mr. Taylor asked, that you are so conversant with the conditions of this work? How is it that you know so much about this work? Reminds me of Brother, uh, brother Tom, amen. <laughs> how, much is that, how is it that you know so much about this work? Oh, he replied, the missionary there and I are old college men. College mates. Praise God for gold college mates. Amen. For years we have regularly corresponded. He has sent me the names of inquirers and converts, and these I have daily taken to God in prayer. At last the secret was found. A man praying at home, praying definitely, praying daily for specific cases among the heathen. Effectual prayer. This is the real intercessory missionary. And that's what we need here at in the states, among our churches, even here in Lighthouse Baptist Church. Amen. Let me just finish with what James Gilmore, a missionary to Mongolia, said. My creed leads me to think that prayer is efficacious. Is that word again effectual? And surely a day's asking God to overrule all events for good is not lost. It wouldn't be a day lost being a day in prayer. That goes contrary to what we think. Man, I don't have time for that. I don't have time for that in the ministry, some would say. 
Still, he says, and he, 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 he addresses that. Still, there's a great feeling that when a man is praying, he's doing nothing. Are we tempted to feel that way sometimes when we start really, well, okay, I'm going to pray. But, but sometimes we're tempted to think, am I really accomplishing anything? And this feeling makes us give undue importance to work. Now, he's not saying that you shouldn't work. That's not important. What he's saying is sometimes uh, we feel like, okay, you know, I just don't. Okay, God, I'll give you five minutes because I got so much to do. I'll give you five minutes. I, I got a ministry ministries going on. I, I, I'll give you some time. This feeling gives us good, uh, uh, makes us give good, undue, undue importance to work. Sometimes even to their hurrying over, and even to the neglect of prayer. Isn't that what happens? And he goes on and says, do not we rest in our day too much in the arm of flesh? Cannot the same wonders be done now as of old? Oh, yes, they can. Just need people to pray as they did of old. Do not the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth still to show himself strong on behalf of those who put their trust in him? Oh, yes, he does. Oh, that God would give me more practical faith in him, he said. Then he finishes, where is now the Lord God of Elijah? He is waiting for Elijah. To call on him. Remember that story of Elisha? He takes Elijah's mantle and he comes to the river Jordan. He, he, he says, where's the Lord God of Elijah? And he, he, and he hits the Jordan and it opens up. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's here today. The question is, where are the Elijahs? In this church, even, that will pray like Elijah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Oh, how much more you want to do on the mission field. Oh, there, how there are some ministries that are struggling. And Lord, uh, many times we can read a prayer letter and maybe even criticize and say, what's the matter with that missionary? Well, maybe what they need is prayer. Oh, Lord, I believe there are some people here that could change the dynamics of some mission field out there. Some mission work out there through their prayers. Oh, God, that we would take to them that would be important for us to pray. Pray that God would open up effectual doors of opportunity in men's hearts. Pray that God would open up the missionary and the missionary team and the people of the missionary churches. Open up their mouths with boldness. And also to pray that God would give people, even in this church and churches around the United States, some, some people a quaking door experience where they say, Here am I, Lord. Send me. Oh, Lord, we need the prayers of the saints, oh God, that you convict our hearts of the need to pray. I pray these things in your name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm going to ask the pastor to come. If God has spoken to your heart, let's stand to our feet, please. Stand to your feet. And if God has spoken to your heart, your heart as the piano plays, if God has spoken to your heart about this area of prayer and praying for missionaries, I ask you to come and talk to God.